Hey, my name is Larry Ife, and this is episode 193. My guest is Mark Milky. He is a Canadian author. He is also a think tank analyst. He is from Canada. Uh, you know, Canada is near the Rocky Mountains. Hmm. Um, and as a matter of fact, I, I met him on LinkedIn. And as you know, I met several people on LinkedIn, and I only connect with people if they have, if they're doing something. Um, and they're trying to make a difference. He is definitely trying to make a difference. And his book, the title is The, the Victim Cult. And it completely caught me off guard. I have my <laughs> assumptions about it. I had to read it. I hope you guys take a look at it. And um, that being said, I'll just let him go into it because he knows a lot more about this than I do. So, Mark? Well, thanks for having me on, Larry. And um, so the question I normally get is, okay, what, you know, how did you come up with this book or the title? And... Um, I mean, all of us know someone who thinks like a victim, right? They could be a relative, they could be a friend, um, and maybe something really, you know, uh, damaging or bad has happened to them or not sometimes, right? Sometimes people think of themselves as victims and they are or have been, right? And sometimes they're not and they still think of themselves as victims. Um, but it occurred to me, so we all know someone like that and they, they can be a problem for themselves and others if they get stuck there, right? Um, because we've all had lousy stuff happen to us or, you know, or friends or family or whoever, or ancestors even. Um, and the problem though, is if you get stuck there, then you can't really look forward, right? Cause you're always looking back. Uh, it sounds simplistic, but it's true, but it's bad enough if it happens to an individual uh, that we know, someone we know, but what happens when it happens to entire societies and they kind of focus on the past right or wrong, right? Um, well, then entire societies and sometimes countries get stuck and they get stuck sometimes in a really negative spiral. And in the case of, you know, the victim cult, um, how the culture of blame hurts everyone and wrecks civilizations. Um, I started to think about, um, as I thought about it, I mean, in Canada, it came up because of um, what we call First Nations reserves or in American lingo, you know, uh, American, you know, tribe, tribal um, you know, tribal reserves, right? Oh. Uh, in old fashioned language, you know, uh, American Indians or, you know, Indians in the old fashioned language in Canada. Um, I, I've done a lot of work, uh, you know, uh, thinking about and writing about and analyzing these reserves in Canada. And I think that and the conditions are somewhat similar in the US as well, I think. Uh, and what I found was that some of the leaders, um, some of the chiefs um, on these reserves, got stuck in what I call a, a kind of a, a narrative of blame, right? Where it, there's no question um, that if you go back 50 years or 100 years or 150 years in Canada, and the same thing in the US, you know, native Canadians um, were not exactly treated well, right? They couldn't vote until 1960. Uh, I don't know about the United States, but you know, in the civil rights movement in part, of, you know, uh, it wasn't just about, you know, black Americans. Uh, it was also, I assume, about, you know, uh, Native Americans, right, and some of the discrimination that's gone on there. Um, but what I noticed in Canada anyway was some leaders were so focused on the past, they wouldn't look around and think about, okay, why in, in part is there poverty today on uh, reserves in, in Canada? Um, is, does it have something to do maybe with the location? Like, I mean, we're talking Canada, it's a big country. You know? I mean, if you've got a reserve like up north in the middle of nowhere in Northern Canada, yeah. like your educational opportunities are kind of, be, kind of be few, right? It's, I mean, think Alaska times 10, but you know, if you're on the Northern tip of Alaska and Alaska actually has some of the same problems. If you're on the Northern tip of Alaska, not near Anchorage, 
I mean, are you really going to get a great education? I mean, where are you going to have a job, right? Like it's pretty rare. So that's kind of where the book started uh, was really with this observation that this, this blame of the past, and I'm not denying the historical facts of discrimination or prejudice or any of that, uh, or bad decisions by governments in the past in Canada or the United States. But what I noticed was there was a real difference between uh, chiefs you know, and, and councils in Canada on these reserves that said, okay, bad stuff happened, but how are we gonna get, how are we gonna move forward and objectively look at what's happened versus those who said, no, it's, it's all your fault. Um, the reason we're in our state you know, is, is your fault, whoever you is. Uh, and I noticed there was a real difference. And I can explain even the guy who wrote the forward, um, you know, uh, his view on this. And he's a former counselor at a, at a reserve on, in Canada. And now he's a politician. But uh, I can explain that in a moment. But that's kind of where the victim cult started. And then I just started looking into history. And you see this again and again in history, uh, which I can explain in a bit as well. But you see, again, people in entire cultures that get stuck in what I call this blame narrative or victim narrative or grievance narrative. Um, and again, it's not to deny that bad things haven't happened, they have, but uh, you get stuck there and watch out. I, I, I have to tell you, I'm, I'm glad you're about to explain it in a minute because I, like I told you earlier, when I saw the name of the book, Victim of Call, I said, oh man, this is somebody who's gonna write about, and, and, like I said, and it's a white guy, he's gonna write about how, <laughs> you know, you should be, don't be a victim, you know, don't, you know and they like to, yeah. to downplay everything, but you actually say, hey, there are different aspects to being a victim and you're taking the approach of, yeah. okay, you are a victim, now what? What's next? Yeah. And you talk about both sides. Yeah, just tell us about both sides of the picture because you're, you were just about to get into that, so. Yeah, well, um, yeah, I, I mean, I think you have to, you have to be fair. So for example, I know the issue of compensation for slavery is uh, an issue in the United States, right? I mean, I, and I think it's a legitimate issue to debate. Um, should there be some modern day compensation for the evil of slavery? Um, and how I think about that is I think it's more of an art than a science. And so in the victim cult, I look at, at historical examples of where compensation took place. So apparently I didn't, I didn't know this until I did the research for the book. Quakers, you know, the, the religious sect, you know, uh, I think they're called the Society of Friends of the Quakers. Um, back in the 1700s, the late 1700s, when they began to free slaves, they would compensate their slaves right? Um, for obvious reasons, because, you know, they, you know, they, they acknowledge they're wrong. And, you know, and these are, uh, they were obviously deeply devout Christians. And, uh, and, and as you know, I'm sure the abolitionist movement was uh, really promulgated, pushed forward by evangelical Christians in the United States, in the United Kingdom, in Canada. Uh, and the Quakers are part of that, no doubt, but they compensated. Now, the big question is, two centuries later, um, you know, whether it's slavery or whether it's some other, other issue, do you compensate? Um, there, I would tend to say, well, no, uh, to, be, to be frank, for a whole bunch of reasons I go into in the victim cult. But basically, it is an art more than a science. I also bring up the, the example of Japanese Americans, right? Japanese Americans and other Asian Americans were heavily discriminated against, not as bad as Black Americans, but uh, they were certainly discriminated against. And, you know, I mean, in California, if you were Japanese or of Chinese ancestry, you know, for like a century, um, you know, you couldn't, uh, you often couldn't go into a movie theater and sit in the same rows as whites, right? You were relegated to the balcony. Um, as I detail in the book, you know, you'd have to phone ahead and say, can I go to your restaurant as a Japanese person? Like, 
Um, but um, anyway, back to sort of the compensation issue. As we know, the Japanese, those of Japanese ancestry, American Japanese, whether first generation or third generation, you know, full American citizens even were put into internment camps for four years in World War II. Their property was taken, stolen by the government, really, or certainly was, you know, stolen sometimes by neighbors because um, they couldn't take care of it. So, um, and they were never really properly compensated. There was some compensation in the 1950s and again in the 1980s. Now, uh, look, I'm a big property rights advocate. I'm kind of a free market guy that way. If you steal my property as government or a person, you know, I want my, I want my property back. Right. I want to be compensated. Right. So, but it's one thing 10 years after an event or, you know, a generation or two after an event, I think you can make that case. Um, and I'm somewhat familiar with the case of, say, banks or insurance companies. Uh, what's the term? Is it uh, redlining, I think? Yeah, redlining. Yeah. Yep. You know, I think there's a case to be made, and I write about it in the victim calls. Okay, if, if you couldn't, you know, if, if there is discrimination, uh, institutional discrimination from banks and others, you know, say a, a generation or two ago that affected your family, then perhaps there's a case to be made that you can sue that company. Now, but the further you go back, I think the weaker the link is. Like I've even heard, you know, Bill Clinton, for example, as I write about in the book, he, he blamed part of 9-11 even, where he, or he said, you have to understand 9-11 in the context of the Crusades a, a, a thousand years ago. And I'm like, really? like, like, really? Like in the Arab world, they actually forgot about the Crusades until I think it was like British or European colonialists who opposed colonialism actually. Uh, brought it up in like the 1860s and made it an issue again. I mean, think about, you know, the age before the internet, people forget things, right? And uh, anyway, so I think, but that's a good example of where no one should deny the sin or the evil of slavery. Two centuries later, mm, I think I think it's a harder case to make as opposed to 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 50 years ago. And I don't say this lightly. Um, as I write in part of the book about my own sort of history, my family's history, my grandmother on my father's side, um, she was uh, three years old in 1915 in Ukraine, right? She was a German in Ukraine, and, or 1914 rather. And her family um, was trying to leave to come to Canada uh, to join some relatives in Canada. This is 1914. And they, they leave Ukraine, they leave their farm, they leave everything. And they, they're, they're in Latvia, the port of whatever it is, it starts with an L somewhere up there. And uh, they're about to leave, and then apparently they, you know, they get eyes, they, they check for their eyes or whatever, and there's some eye disease or whatever, an infection. And so they have to wait two weeks while that's kind of cleared up. What happens? Well, in that two weeks, war starts, World War I. <laughs> and so at the port, there's like ships on fire, and you know, there's guns in the streets. And so they have to go all the way back to the Ukraine from Latvia. Forget about Canada. And then somehow they make their way to Siberia, like in 1917, Siberia, like it's worse than Canada, Northern Canada. It's like minus 35 here, by the way, in Calgary today. And they have to go to Siberia to a German farm. Well, what happens next in 1917? The communists take over. <laughs> their farmer who has them employed on the farm is taken away, never seen again. They make their way back to like Central Europe and Ukraine. And, and this goes on like, it, you know, for years they're traveling around Europe as basically German refugees, like they're poor. Um, and anyway, they finally make it to Canada in 1927, where my grandmother at this point would have been, what, I don't know, uh, in her teens or something. She later meets my grandfather, who's also German, who came from Poland in the late 1920s and they marry. But my grandmother, lost two of her sisters and a brother. 
And um, I remember growing up like in the 1970s, 1980s in, in Canada here. And my grandmother, my, my you know, German origin grandmother from Ukraine, um, she would often mark documents with an X because she couldn't read, right? She never learned how to write because she was traveling around you know, Central Europe and Siberia as a kid and worked on the farm. And um, so I say that to say, there's no shortage of tragic histories and I, I don't downplay the, the tragedy. Uh, and today there's, you know, there's tragedies today, uh, accidental sometimes, uh, sometimes intentional. There are jerks out there, there are prejudiced people out there. Um, there are dictators, there are tyrants. And so I don't downplay the tragedies and the victim cult. But again, what I try and do is say, okay, these things are real you know? and, and sometimes not, sometimes fake. Um, if you wanna know, um, I mean, a good example of a victim narrative, as I call it, uh, and a fake victim. And I go into those as well in the book. Yeah, you did, you did. Wait, you did, one good thing, you did mention one about that too. I was looking at yeah. an excerpt. Uh, you gotta tell, yeah, now you gotta tell who it was. You're talking about it too. There are some fake ones out there. Well, can you guess? You could probably guess who I think is, uh, has claimed to be a fake victim in the last couple of years. I know it too. I was just reading, I was reading some of your stuff. Uh, and now it escapes me. I'm getting camera shy. Maybe. It's okay. It's okay. Donald Trump, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, look, you know, I, I know a lot of Americans, whatever, I, you know, um, and I don't want to be the, look, I'm a Canadian. Uh, I try to be careful about other people's politics. You know, but I do have a background in political science. It's my degree. So I'm interested in politics and history and always have. So it's in my brain. Um, but, you know, look, Donald Trump, a self-proclaimed billionaire, right? This tough guy from Manhattan. Well, what does he do in 2015, 2016? He's complaining. I mean, do you remember his interview on Fox News with Megyn Kelly and, uh, you know, the debate in 2015 with other Republicans? And he's saying he's kind of doing the Charlie Brown thing. You know, why are you always picking on me? Right. And uh, to Megyn Kelly, because she asked him some tough questions. And I'm like, really? Like, and he complains about being covered too much, right? And I'm thinking, you're a guy who puts your name on skyscrapers and yet you claim to be a victim, right? In gold, like gold writing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so Donald Trump claims to be a victim of what? Immigrants of Mexican, Mexican origin judges. Um, he claims to be a victim of the media. He claims to be a, a victim of Ted Cruz. Like, and he claims the election is rigged in 2016 until he wins, right? And then we saw it again in the, in the past two months, you know, before uh, the takeover, for the takeover, before Joe Biden came in, right? The same thing. He refused to accept defeat, claimed he was a victim. And we all know where that went. And look, again, I'm, look, I, you know, I would be kind of a, a small C conservative, kind of free enterprise guy, um, you know, but political parties are an amalgamation of a whole bunch of interests and claims and all sorts of stuff. I just found it unfortunate um, that, uh, I mean, look, I really admire uh, America as a country. Uh, there, there is sometimes anti-Americanism in Canada. Uh, my PhD thesis was on that. I examined it. I'm not one of those, um, you know, who is reflexively critical of the United States. But in this particular instance, I just think Donald Trump was wrong to claim to be a victim. There are real victims in history and he wasn't one of them. Um, all that to say what, you know, again, uh, you know, my grandmother was a real victim, uh, but never complained about that. Like, and, and, and back to the issue of say compensation, you know, I think my, um, obviously they lost their property on my grandfather's side, on the other side of the family. So on the same side of the family, a great grandfather, they lost their, their farm in Poland during world war II to Nazis and then the communists. I mean, so when I think about my grandparents, they could have complained, they, they could have become bitter. 
uh, but they kind of just started over. And actually, I think their choices later on in the 1950s, 1960s, 1970s had a lot more to do with where they ended up in life. Like apparently they used to, you know, they used to own some property in the city where I grew up, which is by a nice lake. And it's a very popular tourist destination in Canada. They used to own some property by the lake. If they'd held it, I would have been like a millionaire today. <laughs> but you know they just built kind of my grandfather was uh you know kind of a blue collar guy who built houses and sold them in what was kind of a one horse not a one horse town but you know a small town that had some tourism had some fruit had some vineyards you know very nice pleasant valley but he wasn't rich nobody around us was rich it was very kind of blue collar middle class where i grew up um and he never thought you know this this place will be booming one day and i should keep property it wasn't how he thought and that's okay all that to say, though, that I think after a generation or two, I think it's really more difficult to blame what happened 50 or 100 or 150 years ago. Like at some point you go, you know, maybe this isn't anyone's fault today, except me or my choices. Right. And at, at the end of the book, and I can go into this in a moment if you want, I try and portray some Americans who were discriminated against and how they fought it and how they won. Well, what are some of the chapters? Because you cover a lot of different things here in family history. And I remember you mentioned something about Martin Luther King and uh, Donald Trump. Thing. What are some of the chapters that you have in the book um, that, 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 that are your favorite one? Like maybe the name is what, some of the favorite titles, some of the favorite uh, chapter titles you have. Oh, favorite chapters? Um, everyone's ancestor was a victim. <laughs> okay. Um, I go into, well, I go into some pretty serious stuff. I go into Nazi Germany and I, I show how Germans thought of themselves as victims for like a century before Adolf Hitler, right? That was why, you know, um, in part why Adolf Hitler rose to power. Germans always thought of themselves as victims, right? And, you know, a century before Adolf Hitler, they were, they were victims of the French, you know, in a war. But, you know, they really thought of themselves as victims of of British, you know, the British, of liberals, of capitalism, of Jews, like, you know, Germans were really kind of odd. And I say this as, you know, a guy who's got an ethnic background and <laughs> was German, like, but they were, you know, they were conspiratorial and crazy and thought of themselves as victims. And they wanted to make Germany great again. Um, oh, you know, yeah. nuts. Um, you know, I go into privilege arguments. Um, I also go into, um, you know, five arguments against kind of using the past against the present, right? Um, that's another chapter title. And part of that is, you know, look, let's all remember, we're not our ancestors. Like, if you go back, like, no one's, no one is perfect, first of all, like, think about the history of the world. I mean, let me ask you, Larry, let's take a guess, or let's, let's, let's take a quiz. Now, how many, how many billions of people do you think have been alive in the history of the planet? Like, you know, since, you know, time immemorial probably like 20 mm, higher <laughs> 100 100 about 100 billion apparently oh okay wow with what 7 billion of us alive today yeah. so think about history and think about the potential for even unintended damage to people yeah. right like you know in, you know, you're going to bump, when you think about seven, seven billion people or 100 billion people in the history of the planet even if you don't intend to harm some um, there's going to be some unintentional harm just from people sort of bumping into each other, right? Yep. Car accidents, right? I mean, the world's not fair. Nature is not fair. You know, natural disasters. Um, so, but, you know, all of us, for example, none of us are perfect. None of our families are perfect. 
Um, I try not to look at people as, you know, black or white or Asian ancestry. I'm really what you call in political science terms, a kind of a classic liberal or maybe today a small C conservative. And all I mean by that is that I think you look at, as Martin Luther King did, um, you look at people and their hearts and their heads and the ideas right? Because think about it, like, I can't change my skin color, right? Neither can you, neither can, none of us can change the nationality we're born into, or the families we were born into. But what we can change are the ideas up here, um, for good or bad, like good ideas can spread, bad ideas can spread. Um, you know, but good ideas can spread. And certainly the heart can change. And that's what we should focus on. Um, and I think all of us need to be modest. And that's another part of the victim cult. Like none of our ancestors were perfect. None of our ethnicities were perfect. Like <clears throat> I'm sure somewhere in the past, like my father in World War II, apparently, because again, he was a you know, kid who had a German ancestry. You know, he's kind of beaten up or, you know, not liked in his school because, well, he was German, right? And Canada's fighting the Germans, um, you know, and he was picked on apparently. So um, again, we, we can all kind of find narratives in our history of victimhood. And I, I, again, I'm not disparaging or I'm not downplaying the really nasty stuff of history, but I would say um, it, it, it helps for us to be modest uh, because, you know, you know, your ancestor, I don't know. I mean, I've got, apparently I've got ancestors in Wisconsin somewhere, you know, someone of some different ethnic group could have beat up one of my ancestors. I don't know. Um, so the question though today is, so how do we get along today? How do we thrive today? And that's really the question of the book. And that's kind of where I end the book with is I look at East Asian Americans, those of East Asian ancestry, the discrimination they went through without downplaying anyone else's and the prejudice they encountered. And, and I ask, how did they succeed though? And what I found was uh, Japanese Americans and Chinese Americans succeeded because of education, because they were committed to their families. Um, but they did push back. There's examples, great examples of Chinese Americans and Japanese Americans, just like black Americans who fought back against institutional prejudice. They went to courts, um, they pressured their politicians. They did everything they possibly could. Even when they lost, they still, you know, they still kept fighting, um, but they didn't, they didn't give up. Uh, but they also wanted to integrate. They said, you know, all of us are individuals first, right? And we deserve equal civil rights. And they fought for that. And the interesting thing I found was like in the 1920s and the 1930s, Larry, like in California, but also in the rest of the United States, those of Japanese heritage and Chinese heritage were graduating from high school and from college at rates higher than white Americans. Um, and why was that? Because there was a huge focus in education in those two ethnic communities, right? Japanese and Chinese Americans. And, and that kind of set, and this was in the most discriminatory period. Like if you were 1924, you know, uh, Congress um, bans any, basically any, any new immigration, right? Especially non-white immigration. Um, so, so they, Chinese and Japanese Americans are at the most discriminatory period in American history against them, the 1920s and up till the 1940s are still succeeding, at least in education. And they become entrepreneurs, right? In part because they're banned from some professions. So there's something there from, I think, um, East Asian Americans and their experience for anybody who feels victimized, rightly or wrongly, to learn from. It's, it, you don't dismiss or you don't, you don't say, you know, uh, this never happened, but you gotta think carefully about what's causing problems today and then what do you do today to combat that? And it may be, it may not be what happened hundred years ago. It may be, you know, I don't know, maybe I need to get some more education or a trade, or maybe it's, 
you know, maybe you need to sue someone for property that was stolen from you or whatever it is. Um, or maybe, you know, one has to look at, you know, one's own lineage and go, well, maybe my family emphasized the wrong things. I don't know. So that's what I think uh, needs to needs to happen. That's the message of the victim cult. At the end, I try and be very positive and show people a way out. So and how did you come up with name? How did you come up with a victim cult? I, uh, I like it. And I'm like, okay, I think of cult as one thing. Yeah, I think it was another thing. So you really had my brain going yeah. both ways. Yeah. Well, I think uh, sometimes I come up with creative titles for my books, and I think in this instance, it just derived from okay. First of all, the book is about again victims, real and fake, right? Mm. Uh, and then cult. I just thought um, the victim cult, as I describe it, is really kind of this obsession with something right because that's what a cult is right people are obsessed um, you know and so it's it's kind of combining what the problem is people think of themselves as victims as individuals or in groups but then they become obsessed by it uh, and that's the danger because you know then they just get focused in and they can't see anything else and so for example in canada like i said you know some reserves their problem is not necessarily what happened 100 years ago it may be the modern structure where they can't own property or they're in the middle of nowhere in Northern Canada, and they're never gonna be like a suburb of, you know, Grand Rapids, right? Um, they're never gonna be Houston because they're nowhere near opportunities. And so what do they need to do? They need to move to opportunities, right? I mean, so, and, and I don't mean to be harsh or dismissive, but that's just the reality sometimes, right? Um, I moved from a very pleasant valley with four seasons. That's kind of like the Napa Valley of Canada to Calgary, where it's minus 35 today because there's right. opportunity. And, uh, you know, so sometimes we just need to say, what can I do to get out of this situation? Even if we're actually victimized, right? I'm victimized by bad weather today. Not to be, not to be flippant. But. Yeah, well, yeah, 35, oh, horrible. Um, so, so, like I said, I, I wasn't able to check out the whole book because of this like I said, it's had me, I, I could do a little bit and then I had to stop. Yeah, there it is. I had to, I had to stop a little bit. Um, the excerpts you showed me were just, this is, a, I hope you take this book into classrooms. This is something that should be taken into classrooms. It should be taken into like corporate training stuff to let businesses know, hey, you have a business, but you also have responsibility or you need to look at, you know, like you said, with your book, when yeah. you have a victim cult, you talk about, Origin of the problem. You don't just say, yeah, you got a problem, fix it. Origin, yeah. like I said, the Martin Luther King thing, the, uh, how you gave examples right now. Yeah. Um, so what was it like doing the research for the victim call? Was it, was it, did, was it open your eyes a lot of things, new things, or did you already yeah. know too much? Well, intense. And uh, I should probably mention that the guy that wrote the forward for the Canadian edition, the American edition will be out in September, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and, uh, so look forward to that. But the, uh, the fellow who wrote the forward to the Canadian edition uh, is named Ellis Ross. And he was a counselor, uh, again, in, in kind of Canadian terms, he's a First Nations uh, fellow, you know, or in American terms, you know, uh, came from a reservation, uh, lived wow. in a reservation on the coast of British Columbia, very poor uh, reservation. Uh, but he and others turned it around because they said, yes, bad stuff has happened. And I got to know him. And, and uh, when I told him about the book, he's like, this is my experience where I, he said, I had to stop becoming a victim. And then he helped his entire band turn around. And now, you know, whereas before there was massive unemployment, 70% unemployment on the reserve where he lived. Um, they turned it around to where basically now there's zero unemployment uh, because they started to work with natural resource companies like natural gas companies and others to, to come in and develop properties. Um, and so now he said, you know, his, his problem a couple of years ago was problem 
was he had like a, a single mother come to him and say, I want to work more than three days a week, right? She wanted a full-time job. Um, that was the problem now was, you know, you know, he, the, there were a lot of people that, uh, that turned around their lives and wanted to work. But no, the research is pretty intense because like, how do you describe, you know, I mean, you know, victimhood in like Rwanda, you know, in Germany, and, you know, and then tie it to the United States, right? Like, and how do you talk about slavery in a compassionate way, in a real way, and yet say, I'm not sure that compensation two centuries later is a good idea. How do you be, how do you be fair, right? And that kind of made, that really like hurt my brain to think, okay, let's think through this honestly, right? And how do we get past, how do I, how do I you know, tell people that, you know, um, this isn't like an attack on, on someone's ancestry. It's really an attempt to say, let's remember what matters here. Uh, and again, not to be flippant or to be, um, I mean, I think, again, at the heart of things, what's the problem in history, I think, is um, people are not treated as individuals. They're seen as Jewish, or they're seen as Black, or they're seen as white, or they're seen as Asian American, or they're seen, you know, it, it, people in history find infinite ways to um, to not like somebody or to divide. Like we're tribal by nature, like we can't love 7 billion people, right? But we've gotta be careful that when we create our own tribe, because people can divide on religion, on class, on ethnicity, right? It doesn't matter. People will find a reason not to like someone, right? Um, and again, because we can't live, love 7 billion people or get to know seven people, I understand that. But the most important thing is to not think about people as anything other than individuals. Um, you know, when you, I mean, I, I'm sure you've had the same experience I have. Sometimes you may have a, a certain thought about someone you've met, you don't know, like, especially online, right? It's really easy to stereotype people and say, well, they must be like that or think like that, right? And then you sit down and have coffee or do what we do and have a conversation and you find things in common, you know? Um, that's, that's, and I think that's where real relationships start, right? And I think because we're starting to think of each other as individuals. I mean, I didn't grow up in Michigan. Uh, I'm not an American, but you know, I don't know. I mean, aren't there things like from any, like I lived in Japan for two years. I mean, there's things I love about Japan. There's things I can relate to in Japan better than my own culture. So I think once a person is open to looking at people as individuals, I think, um, anyway, going on Larry, but yeah, I, I think that's the core problem in history is people and, and in law and policy, um, the mistake is we don't look at people or treat people as individuals. And that's always been the problem. That's been the core problem. The reason, uh, you know, African-Americans uh, were so horribly treated was why? Because, you know, a lot of white people weren't treating them as individuals. They had some weird idea that skin color mattered, you know, instead of ideas, instead of the heart, right? That, that's, and that's why I have to tell you, I have seen a lot of posts on LinkedIn and other places about racism and things of that nature. You're the first person, and I'm and you're the very first person, and particularly first white person, the white white male. They also white males in America. They do that a lot. Um, that actually just was able to say, "Hey, listen, okay, I'm, I'm I didn't see as a white person after a while. I was like, okay, as a white guy, I'm gonna talk about some stuff. Once you once I looked at the books and the excerpts from the book, um, and I put the name together, okay, um, you know, victim caught this and that. The way you lay it out, the way you lay it out lets a person know that, hey, I'm a white guy, true, but a, a, a black person could have said it the same way. Uh, an Asian person could have said it the same way. These are the facts. Let's just take a look at them. We all had it. And man, you, you 
like we say in America, you finessed it. You um, thank you. You 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 lay it out. I know there'll be a lot of people right now that'll be like, okay, well, what does a white guy know about this? You know, he's, he's a white guy. What, what does a Canadian know know about America? Yeah, yeah. and Canadian at that. <laughs> <laughs> but you you I I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, like I said, I saw it. Uh, especially with the, the links and a lot of times what a person from a woman like from a, like in America from the white culture will do is is minimize a lot of things but you 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 actually shared the victim mentality from other cultures you mentioned about the Martin Luther King thing so you mentioned African American here you mentioned stuff about that East Asian I believe it is yeah. uh, what do you call it? the first American what do you call it in Canada first well, Native Americans we call them first nations, yeah, uh, first nations. Or, or indigenous right indigenous is, uh, is a newer term but it's become more popular um, you know so yeah there's a variety of ways you yeah. know, think of call, covers, this thing this yeah. book here covers everything right? it covers, yeah. it covers every angle I, that's, that's what helped me appreciate and want to talk to you because you addressed every you you made it universal. You made this victim thing universal, and you also made a solution so that could be universal. Yeah, because look, education, you know, and the ideas in her head, and relating to people from the heart. I mean, my best friends are people that I can trust from the heart. Right? I don't have to think about them. Um, and I think there's something too. I think you know. I think people know when someone's being fake or when they're not trustworthy. You know, and, and so maybe that's part of it as well. Um, but I think, you know, in terms of any public policy or how governments, you know, should act and politicians should act, you know, in history, again, the fundamental flaw throughout much of human history is, you know, people divide on the wrong things and not the right things, right? Like, I'm tribal, I guess, in the sense that, you know, I believe like in a capitalist economy. I believe in property rights um, because they secure, you know, your home and your, your religious property and a whole bunch of other things. I mean, again, I'm, I'm a political science, so I think about these things. But those are ideas. And anyone can share those ideas or disagree with those ideas. Um, but they're not connected to skin color. They're not connected to where I was born. They're not connected to, right. I don't know, I mean, anything uh, other than what's in our head. And if you use reason, if you think through things and you're, you're remotely open, then you go, okay, maybe my problem, you know, is not X, but it's Y. But that requires us to actually talk and have a conversation. Um, but it certainly requires us to dismiss those, and it doesn't matter where they're from, who they are, if they look like us or don't like us, it requires us to dismiss people or their arguments if they come from skin color. Um, and that goes both ways. I mean, I go into the, the theory of white privilege in the book. Yeah, I'm not yeah, a big fan true. of it. Yeah, you know, I, I try and treat it, you know, I think fairly, but I'm not a big fan, again, of, of that because I think it can be used as an excuse to um, start new discrimination. Like I, I pay attention to US politics a lot. Um, I'm, I, to be frank, I'm not a big fan of affirmative action programs. And I find, yeah. for example, they, you know, they end up discriminating against too, like East Asians in California, who a century ago were discriminated against for different reasons. So, uh, you know, cause they don't treat people as individuals. And I think one of the ways, I don't really go into this in the victim cult, but I think one of the ways you can make up for past wrongs is to say, okay, let's treat people as individuals today. And maybe if they're poor or come from a poor background, we give them scholarships based on their poverty, based on their parents' situation, right? We don't do it based on skin color, in my view. Um, so, you know, you know, I'm not gonna, not everybody who reads the book is going to agree with that. But I, again, I, I really try and drag people back to 
looking at people as individuals. I mean, one of the chapters in the book is about Rwanda. I mean, Rwandans divided over not skin color, but ethnicity, whether you're yeah. a Tutsi. It's black and, Tutsi. It's black and black right there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and there's some arguments that the Tutsi, a very small minority of the population that ran the country for 100 years or well, for most of its history, and then under colonialists were favored by the colonialists. There's an argument that um, the Tutsis were favored. Maybe, maybe not. What I know is, is that after the majority population, the Hutu, as they're known, like 80% of the population, 90% of the population, once they took over in 1960s, they had a narrative of blame and hatred against the Tutsi for three decades. Through the media, through government, there was affirmative action for Hutus vis-a-vis -vis Tutsis in the education system and jobs in the military. They were told, Tutsis were told to stay out of politics and they'd be killed, and they were. And, and this was a pretty powerful narrative in Rwanda for over 30 years. And, um, and I go into it in, in a lot of great detail and show how Hutus kept blaming Tutsis and set the stage really for the genocide that occurred in 1994 because Hutus began, to, it just took a, a series of events to kind of light the fire um, and the explosion that happened in 1994. But Hutus as a population were kind of primed to always blame Tutsis. And then when some nasty stuff happened in the early 1990s, they were primed for a massacre because some Hutu were afraid of being killed by the Tutsis. And well, it was the Hutus that ended up in a genocidal massacre of almost a million Tutsis and others. So um, I think it's very dangerous to look at people as anything other than individuals. Uh, and it doesn't matter your background, your ethnicity, whether you're all black in Rwanda, whether you're Germans, you know, discriminating against Jews and liberals and English and the French and Germany. Um, you know, these things are very, very dangerous in human history to look at people as anything other than individuals. Well, you did it there. You you opened it up and, and I love it. I, Thank I, you, Larry. I'm, I'm not a big, as a person who writes books, I'm not a big reader for some reason, but books like this, Victim Call, I, I'm actually, I'm actually interested. So, so tell, matter of fact, tell the, can you tell everybody here it's out in, how can they get it? Because it's out in- Sure. So you can, you can buy it online uh, through amazon.com as an ebook. So you can go on there for $9.99 and find it as an ebook through amazon.com. Um, there will be a, a modified edition of the book, though, The Victim Cult, uh, in American bookstores starting in September um, and on Amazon. Uh, but for right now, um, there's the original edition that is, that is available as an ebook in the United States through amazon.com. But if you want the printed version, you'll have to wait until September. And it'll be slightly modified to take out some of the Canadian references. Uh, but uh, you can buy it online now if you want as an ebook. Amazon.com, Mark Milky. <laughs> right, up in the up in the 35 below wet. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. um, but thank you for being a guest here, man. And and, and this this book here. While we're listening, victim cult. Get it. I, I like I said, if anybody's listening to have that's like an, an academic dean, I hope you get in your schools. This is like we say in America, some good shit. This is good stuff Thank here. You. Um, <laughs> that's great. Thanks, Larry. And, and, as an, and especially as an African American, and you being uh I hate saying but you being a white guy, African. Yeah. I, I, I especially just love it. it it's, I, I, I don't take too much advice from too many white guys. But yeah, thank you. This here, you lay it out openly, perfectly, and a lot of African-Americans can learn from that. A lot of white people, black people, whatever, you can all learn from it, the way you lay it out. I, 
hats off. I love it. Dude. Well, thank you, Larry. And it's uh, look, it's, you know, it's been real fun and, and I've enjoyed this and I just, well, I enjoy, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I enjoy just people who, you know, are open to ideas and want to talk about ideas. So uh, this has been great fun. And I think it's a great example of, you know, people can connect regardless of their backgrounds and their skin color. Cause again, you can, you can talk about great ideas and, and positive ideas ultimately. And so, uh, no, I look, I appreciate the opportunity and let's, uh, if you're open to it, let's do it again. Uh, you know, when the book is released in the United States, September. Uh, we'll do it again in September then. Thanks. Yeah. And anything else you want to talk about anytime. So, and, uh, anyway, enjoy Michigan. And, uh, do you guys have some snow there today or? Yeah, we have about six inches, seven inches. Okay. Yeah. So by the Great Lakes, yeah, you make it more snow than we do. Yeah, we, probably don't get, we probably don't get minus 40 from the, the northern Canadian Arctic. So. No, we don't. <laughs> so, and you're lucky. So, Well, no, Michigan's a great place. I've been there a couple of times, and I enjoy being around Grand Rapids. And uh, yeah, I think there's a Japanese museum in, in Grand Rapids or something I want to go back to because uh, I spent two years in Japan. So, no, I'd really like to travel down there. And, uh, again, I've got a great-grandfather that apparently served in the side of a great-great-grandfather who served on the side of the North in the Civil War. Uh, he'd come over from Prussia and uh, I've got a picture of him. It's on my website, uh, markmilkey.com. But yeah, he served in Wisconsin and, um, and uh, on the side of the North. So uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I've got some sort of American connections there as well. So I'd love That's to come right. down, you know, visit you in person as well. So. Okay. Well, come through, man. Like I say, come, whenever you come through, look me up. I got you. That'd be great. I'd love to, Larry, sincerely. So thank you. Okay, cool. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is Mark Milky, the victim cult. Check it out. It's on Amazon.com currently right now. And the print version for America will be in September. All right. And, and, and you got to wrap it up. And I, I say my own little things. I say, hey, this wrap episode one. What episode we have? What episode? 193? And I have no clue what 194 is going to be about. But this time I think I do know what it's going to be about. It might be another follow-up with Mark Milky. So stay okay. tuned and Thank you once again, Mark Milton, for being here. Thank you.